Hey, I love uh, having a full room here this morning. It's so great to see you all. For the past couple of years on the 4th of July weekend, we've kind of done this thing where we just shrink everything down to one service because you never know who's going to be in town and how many people are going to be here. And now you guys have showed me that you're all here. You're all in town, so probably two services next year, but that'll be somebody else's problem, right? Um, just make a note to Jenna and Justin next year you're gonna to wanna to be here early. Uh, and I will see you at 10.30. Um, <laughs> but I do wanna, in all seriousness, one of the coolest things about uh, what I get to do here is that I sit in the front of the room often and to hear you guys leading me in worship this morning as you all sang along was really cool. So thanks for doing that. Uh, my name is Steve Wall, and if we haven't met, I'm the campus pastor here at the Noblesville campus. I also serve as our executive pastor here at Genesis Church. And I do that because uh, you probably know this about me. Before I was a pastor, I wasn't. <laughs> I worked in an office. And if you, like me, worked in an office in the 1990s or the 2000s, early 2000s, you're probably familiar with the brand Successories. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Raise your hand if you know Successories. Not very many. Old, not, not too much gray hair in the room this morning. Uh, Successories, if you don't know, was a company founded in 1985 by Mac Anderson. Mac Anderson was a collector of motivational sayings and uh, quotes. And so he started this company where he would make these beautiful posters with nice pictures on them. And uh, they would have some sort of motivational saying on them. You've probably seen them. If you're too young for that, you've probably seen them in the background of some of your favorite TV shows, shows like The Office. You'll see these on the wall uh, of The Office and other places like that. But their posters said things like this, integrity, do what you know is right always. Right? Or they'd say something like determination. It's a commitment to excellence that will help you attain the success you seek. Or vision. A leader's job is to see the organization not as it is, but as that can become. See, aren't those great? I mean, don't you feel motivated already just sitting here and hearing those things, like ready to get out and go attack the day? These became very popular. I mean, so popular that in 1991, Successories opened its own chain of retail stores at malls across the country. In fact, uh, you know, when you were that age, you could go as I would have gone in, in my day to Lafayette Square Mall, and you walk through the mall and you see this accessories store there, and you can go in there and buy these posters. Uh, but pretty much like anything else that becomes popular, they also eventually became a target of parodies. And so the most famous one was uh, by a company that had the website despair.org. And uh, they came out with a series of posters called Depressories. Get it? Successories, Depressories. And those posters said, had such demotivational sayings as things like this. Get to work. You aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. Right? <laughs> or, uh, or this one, risk-taking. The pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. Or you could die from it. It's hard to know with these things sometimes. But my favorite is, and probably has always been, this one with the picture of the sinking ship that says mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> now, why am I bringing these up? Well, because I feel like the story we're gonna look at today, uh, it's the story of a man named Samson. You may know this story. And while Samson is often portrayed as a superhero type figure, he really wasn't the hero Israel needed. In fact, his life 
is more like a story that can serve as a warning to you and me. And so his story is found in the book of Judges. If you've got your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you might go ahead and open it to Judges chapter 13. Uh, We're going to cover a lot of territory in Scripture 13 through 16 today, so it might be helpful to have that story open in front of you. As Matt said, we're continuing in this series that we're doing this summer called Sticky Stories. Um, We're giving out these little stickers that you probably saw one of these when you walked in. Hopefully you grabbed one of those. Uh, This one has a flexed bicep on it to describe the story of salmon. Uh, Samson, not salmon. I don't know where I got salmon out of that. I might say it more than once today. Uh, But at the same time, we're looking at these stories that you probably heard as a kid. And in fact, we often think of them as kid stories, but they have lessons that carry on through into our adult life and that we can take with us for the rest of our life. I think the story of Samson fits squarely in that category. So Samson was one of 12 judges in Israel. He's likely the most well-known. And in fact, uh, especially if you're new to church, he may be the only one you know, or maybe you know him and uh, Gideon, who Dan talked about last week. Uh, but the 12 judges of Israel were Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jer, uh, Jephthah, Ibzan, Ol- uh, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. Now, when you think judges and you think of these 12 people, I don't want you to think of like the Supreme Court. All right, They're, These aren't Uh, men and women in black robes sitting up on a high bench looking down and trying to tell right from wrong. Judges were more like the military leaders of Israel. These were people that uh, God raised up to help deliver them, the the nation of Israel, from uh, their, their foreign enemies, their invaders. Often what would happen, we see this cycle on and off. We see it through the book of Judges, and then we see it again in 1 and 2 Kings is that the people of Israel rebel against God and God sends an invader to come take over their land or he puts them in captivity until they repent. They, they uh, turn back to God and then God raises up a leader to lead them out of that. This is a cycle that happens over and over again, a cycle of disobedience and then obedience and then freedom and then disobedience, obedience and freedom. And it goes over and over and over again. So uh, even though Samson may be the best known judge, I think we can make the case, and you'll probably see as we go through his story today, he may very well have been the worst of the 12. And so uh, don't want to think of him so much as a hero. Uh, We're going to start with his story in Judges 13.1. It says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now this is important. Okay, we're going to come back to this idea later in our story that they are have been delivered into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites who had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. You don't need to know all that information about his background. Just know his name is Manoah. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and will have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so Manoah and his wife will eventually have this son and his name is going to become Samson. But before we get into that, I want to dig down into a little bit of a rabbit hole for a minute. Actually, two rabbit holes, if you'll allow me. Uh, The first one is this. Here's a couple who should not be able to have a child, who has an angel of the Lord appear to them 
and say that they're going to have a child and that that child will be delivered, uh, will be dedicated to the work of the Lord. Now, if you know your Bible at all, does that story sound familiar to you, to anyone? Who, who else has a similar story? Abraham, okay. I'm thinking of somebody maybe a little more modern. Mary and Joseph, Jesus, right? It sounds like the story of Jesus. An angel appears to this couple. They, they should not be able to have a couple. They, they, the angel tells them, I'm going to, you're going to conceive. You're going to have this child. He's going to be dedicated to the life of the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you that so that we can compare this life of Samson and Jesus other than to say, think of the possibility now that, was, that could have happened with Samson's life, right? As we read through this story, think about the story of Jesus and the story of Samson and what Samson's story may have looked like. And all I want to remind you is that Samson's story is one of real possibilities, right? But Samson's story is really a story of wasted possibilities. So no, back to this encounter with the angel of the Lord. Uh, there's something I want you to notice in your Bible. And I want you to think about this when you, when you read through some of these stories. It doesn't say they were visited by an angel of the Lord. It says, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all right? And when this happens, I want you to start looking for this. This is quite possibly what's called a theophany. And what this means is this is God appearing in person to this family. In fact, this is most likely the pre-incarnate Christ who comes in person. Now, why do I think that? Well, one, because it says the angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the one person who represents the Lord God, Yahweh. Um, and and on the second reason is because we see her later say, I was visited by a man. Have you ever noticed that when somebody in the Bible sees an angel, uh, uh, a created being angel, that they are terrified? by looking at them, right? They describe them as full of light and, and uh, have all these crazy features and they're scared and they fall to the ground. Well, what we see with Manoah's wife is she said, I was visited by a man and he looked like an angel of the Lord. And so it's quite likely that this angel of the Lord is actually Jesus before he came to earth. So I just want to throw that out there. All right. So the Nazarite vow, this is the vow that's, that uh, was given to Samson from birth. This was often taken by someone later in life and usually for a limited period of time as they dedicated themselves to the Lord, they consecrated themselves to God. It was generally taken voluntarily. So like you could decide, I wanna take the vow of a Nazarite for a certain period of time. But in Samson's case, um, this was thrust upon him, right? It was given, it was told to his parents that he would take this Nazarite vow, but the vow has three parts. Uh, number one is they're not supposed to take any fermented drink, not supposed to have wine or anything else. And in fact, they're not even supposed to um, eat any part of the grape, the grape skin, the grape seed, grape seed oil, uh, nothing like that. That's part one. Part two is they're not supposed to touch a dead body. You know, even in uh, Israel, for normal Israelites, that makes them unclean. But for a Nazarite, that's against God's will for them. Don't touch a dead body. It, not even a friend or a relative. Don't go near it. And number three, don't cut your hair for the entire length of the vow. Now, if you're doing this for a temporary period of time, that's not such a big deal. But like Samson, if you're doing this for life, I mean, you can imagine it probably gets pretty nasty up in there. So, um, but that's part of the vow. Don't cut your hair. Don't, don't eat, drink fermented drink. Don't touch a dead body. Don't cut your hair. 
Now, there were, uh, the, the hair was the outward symbol of the covenant with God, right? So that's the thing people could see from the outside. Now, what we'll see, there are several pivotal moments in Samson's life. And due to some time limitations, we've got one Sunday here. We won't be able to go through them all. In fact, in 2016, we did a four-week series on the life of Samson uh, called The Measure of a Man. If you want to go back, you can probably still find that on the podcast. But today's going to be the Spark Notes version because we've got to cover his life in the next 15 minutes or so. Uh, but we said during that series that Samson was an incredibly strong man with very weak character. And that's what we see over and over again as we look through his life. Um, we'll see that start to play out now. Chapter 13, verse 24 says, The woman, uh, the wife of Manoah, we never know her name, the, wife, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Again, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but we see Samson growing gaining knowledge, getting the spirit of the Lord. If we read Luke 2.42, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. The parallels are there, but then Samson's story, this is where in chapter 14, his story starts to go off the rails. We see Samson pursuing a relationship with a Philistine woman. Now you go, what's, what's the big deal with that? Well, remember, the Israelites are in captivity to the Philistines. And here is Samson and he's pursuing the enemy this idea that the Israelites had been disobedient, they were turned over to be ruled by the Philistines. Well, one of the things we're going to see in Samson's life is that he's got this insatiable appetite for women. And it doesn't matter what they're like or where they're from. But the cool thing about it is that we're going to see that God is going to use his appetites to help rescue the nation of Israel and to bring glory to himself. In fact, I just want to remind you this morning that God can use anything for his glory. Uh, so Samson wants to marry this Philistine woman. His parents argue with him, but Samson strikes back. Judges 14, 3 says, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. And it's right after this that we see the first sign in Samson of what he's been come to know, know for, which is what? His strength, right? We see this. His physical strength, verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat, which I love, by the way, like tearing a young goat apart, that's just normal, right? <laughs> Anybody can do that. Uh, I loved the, in, my, in my mind as I was reading this this week, David Attenborough was like narrating this, you know, like planet earth. Uh, here, is, here is the young warrior tearing apart the young goat. Um, but, but he tears apart this young lion, but he says it tells, he tells neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Now, why didn't he tell his mom and dad? Well, maybe it was modesty, but I don't think so because we don't ever see that anywhere else in Samson's story. Um, it could be that he violated his Nazarite vow by killing this lion, right? He's not supposed to touch a dead body. But in fairness, um, a lot of commentators think that, that really only applied to human bodies. And I mean, the lion was coming at him to attack. So what else is he supposed to do? 
So later, he's going to go back to Timnah to get married to this woman, the same woman. And as he's doing that, he sees the dead lion sitting by the side of the path that he's walking on, and bees have nested in its carcass. This is real good stuff, right? I hope you're ready for brunch after this. Bees have nested in its carcass and built a hive in there. And Samson, as he's walking by, reaches in his hand, he scoops out a handful of honey and eats it. Not in self-defense, but just to enjoy this honey. And so we see he probably violating his vow again. So he gets married. He hosts a wedding feast. Um, wedding feasts in Israel were well known for wine to be flowing. If we know about the story of Jesus, we know that when they ran out of wine and the wedding in Cana, the party was practically over. People were ready to go home until Jesus turned water into wine. So this is what's happening. So most likely, Samson is drinking wine, which is a violation of his Nazarite vow. I say it because that's what wedding feasts were like in Israel, but also because it's when young men drink wine that they start to make stupid bets and dares. And so um, Samson, in the middle of this wedding feast, says to his new Philistine friends, he says, let me tell you a riddle, and if you can't guess it, you owe me 30 suits. And if you can guess it, I owe you 30 suits. And so he tells them this riddle, and it's about the honey that he ate on the way to his wedding. The riddle goes like this, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet and they're stumped. And these men work on this for three days and they can't come up with the answer. And so finally, they go to work on Samson's new wife. Now remember, she's a Philistine woman. He's an Israelite man, they're enemies. Uh, she just barely knows him. She's probably given to him by her parents. Doesn't really have any loyalty to Samson, but she does have loyalty to her countrymen and these young men. So they coax it out of her to go get the answer, who coaxes it out of her husband, because remember, Samson has incredibly weak character, and they find it out. But, and, and he owes them 30 suits of clothes. But instead of doing it the right way and going out and paying for 30 suits of clothes or having them made, Samson decides he's going to take the easy way out and go kill 30 men and take their suits of clothes. And remember, he's got a vow to be a Nazarite. He's not supposed to touch a dead body, let alone make the body dead. And most certainly, he touched their dead body when he was taking the clothes off of them. Um, and so again, once again, he violates his vow. But notice also that Samson, who is supposed to be, we, we think of as this superhero, this great leader, he's not leading other men into battle. He's going in and doing the fighting himself. Again, he's not the hero Israel needs. Well, because of this outburst, because he goes and kills these men, Samson's wife is taken from him and given to another man. This outrages Samson against the Philistines even hotter than he was before. And this sets off a series of back and forth battles between Samson and the Philistines, Samson and the Philistines. We see that Samson um, burns up their field by tying some foxtails together with a torch and he sets them loose in their field. And then they go and get his wife that had been given to another man and kill her and her father as well. And then Samson kills a bunch more Philistines. And so the Philistines are getting really frustrated with this guy. So they send a party down to talk to his people. They know they can't talk sense into Samson, but maybe if we talk to these people that he's representing, uh, we can get them to turn him over. So they send a party down to Judah uh, and say, maybe these people will listen. So basically it's an army. They send 3,000 people down to Judah and uh, they say, hey, uh, if you go get Samson and turn him over to us, we won't hurt you. And so this party 
of people go down and they find Samson in this cave where he's been hiding. And uh, they say, these men are going to kill us. But if you'll come with us, they'll leave us alone. And so Samson surprisingly agrees. He agrees to this this trade where he will be taken captive by the Philistines in order to, to save 3,000 of these people from Judah. But it soon becomes apparent this is all part of Samson's plan. We see this in Judges 15. It says, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, toward Samson, shouting. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Now, this is a crazy story about using what you got, right? <laughs> you use what you got. This is what we found. This is what we're going to do. Kill a thousand men with this jawbone. And this really puts the fear of God in the Philistines. Now, I don't know if it's fear of God, capital G, fear of God, little g. Uh, they're just afraid of whatever Samson's got in him. But this is crazy because maybe you've, even if you've read this story, you've never noticed this. this uh, there's an implication to this. The Philistines are scared of Samson now. Right? He kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. The people of Israel are impressed with Samson now. Right? He's killed a thousand men on his own with his hands and this jawbone. And for 20 years, there's peace in the land of Israel. We see this one little verse in Judges 15, 20. It says that Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So think about that. But then we come to this story that Samson is best known for. When we think of the story of Samson, we always team him up with one other person, and that's who? Delilah. Samson and Delilah. Sometime later, Judges 16, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we might tie him up and subdue him. This is how much he is in their heads, right? Like, we need to get Samson. Each one of us, the Philistines say, will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. These, these men, these Philistines, they were so amazed by Samson's strength that they want to know, where does it come from? Now, this reminds me, and I'm going to give uh, credit where credit is due here. I'm going to give credit to Tara Lee Cobble and the Bible Recap Podcast for pointing this out. We often portray Samson as this superhero, right? This guy with big muscle. He looks like he's been working out, right? This is a guy that's been lifting stuff up and putting it down. Uh, but... If that was the case, wouldn't the Philistines just assume that he was strong because he worked out? He was strong because of all those muscles on his body, right? But because they keep watching this guy and seeing him do these crazy things, and they're like, I don't know where this is coming from. We've got to find out the secret of this. It's likely that Samson doesn't look like a traditional superhero like we think of because, because every time he pulls off a feat of strength, they're surprised by it. And also, in fact, if you look closely, what you'll see as you read through this story, every time Samson pulls off a feat of strength, the Bible tells us who's really behind his strength. It'll always say the spirit of the Lord came on Samson and enabled that to happen. But the Philistines, they want to know. And so uh, Delilah is up for a, the task. So she tries a few times to get Samson to spill his secret. He keeps deceiving her. And then finally in verse 15, she says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? 
This is the third time you've made a fool out of me, and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Which such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. What's so funny about that? It's in the Bible. I mean, I didn't say anything. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, what I want you to know about this passage right here is that when Samson is telling Delilah the secret of his strength, he uses a word for God that we don't often see used uh, in the Old Testament. It's the word Elohim, and it's a generic name for God. It's a name that is often used to represent the other gods from the other nations around Israel. Uh, In other words, Samson says, my mom dedicated me to some god. It's almost as if he's admitting to Delilah, he doesn't really know or understand this god that he's dedicated to. And so she shaves his head the last vestige of his vow to God. He's violated his vow from drinking from the vine. He's violated by touching dead bodies. And now even the outward appearance of his commitment to God is gone. And so he's captured by the Philistines and they deliver a fitting punishment. They gouge out his eyes, okay? And his eyes have caused him trouble in the past. They force him to do a woman's work, um, which after the way he's treated women, treated women, that's pretty appropriate. And that what we see in here is that Samson, without the covenant that he made with God, he is so weak, he can't even do a regular man's job. He's forced to do this other work. Judges 16, 28 says this, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me get with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. So what's happened here? is that the Philistines have taken him prisoner. They've captured him. He's in this giant uh, arena, this giant room with uh, thousands of Philistines. And he sees, he notices, not sees, he notices that there's two columns that are supporting this whole thing. And he thinks, if I can just push these columns over, maybe I'll die. But certainly the Philistines will die as well. And so that's the situation. He prays to the Lord, sovereign Lord. Now, This time, what we see is that Samson, when he sends praise to God, he uses a different word for God. He uses the word Yahweh. And when you hear that word, you probably know that is the personal name for the God of the universe. It's the name that the Jews would have held in high esteem. In fact, such high esteem that rabbis in the day wouldn't have even written the entire word out. They would have abbreviated it for the fear of accidentally blaspheming God. So Samson, remember, when he first tells Delilah about this covenant, he uses the word Elohim, the generic word for God, this informal name. He says, I'm dedicated to some God. But when he prays, he prays to Yahweh, the God of the universe, the one true God, the God who could pull him through whatever he was going through, whatever he was stuck in. He's been in this covenant since birth, but what we see is that he never really knew this God he was in the covenant with in the first place. And now when he's desperate and he really needs him, what do we see? Is Samson repentant? Yeah, I think he is. This is really the first sign of humility we ever see in Samson's whole life. The Bible tells us that at this point, his hair had started to grow back and his hair growing back, I think, is a sign that his relationship with God was starting to form. 
And so uh, this relationship that Samson really never knew, but thanks to his parents, he had. Uh, he was dedicated to God from birth, but maybe in this moment, he's just starting to really know who God is. And with that, I just want to take a moment and talk to those of you who are in the room that maybe you grew up in church. Um, maybe you have parents that were very strong in your faith and you're here because your parents want you to be here. You're here because you gain this faith uh, from your parents, but you don't really know much about God. You haven't really investigated God. Or maybe you're here because your husband or your wife comes to church and they want you uh, to know what they're experiencing and what they believe. Or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're here to impress them. I, I just want you to know, take some time to investigate who God really is. Like you can't become a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You can't become a follower of God because of someone else's faith. You can't inherit that from somebody else. You have to have your faith be your own. And for every one of us, even if we grew up in church, at some point, there's this time that's gonna come where we're gonna have to start to question and doubt what our parents told us. Because why? Because our parents are idiots. They don't know anything, right? They, they're wrong about everything until you're what, 24, 25? And then they're right about everything? We, we have this faith, a lot of us, we have this faith that has been given to, it's almost been thrust upon us just like it was thrust on Samson. But I just wanna encourage you, guys, you've got a God who loves you. He is crazy about you. For Samson, God must've been a set of rules, right? I can't touch dead bodies, I can't drink wine, I can't do anything fun. And I think for a lot of us, if you, if you grew up in church or if you're, you're here because your husband or your wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or some friend invited you, you probably look at God that way too. There's just a bunch of rules. But I gotta tell you, God is the only God, Yahweh, the God of the universe is the only God who doesn't want anything from you. He just wants something for you. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you so that you could have freedom, so that you could have eternal life. And if you would just look into him, he wants to delight in you. I said early on that Samson's story is one of wasted possibilities, and here's what I mean. Samson, at the end of this life, is in this really sticky situation, and he realized finally where his strength comes from. It's not coming from his muscles. It's not coming from his hair. It was coming from God, and not just a generic God, but the God of the universe, the one true God, Yahweh, the God who provides, the God who cares, the God who is the creator, the God who loves him. That is the God of the covenant with him. That's where his strength comes from. And now here's my question. What could Samson have been if he didn't recognize that for his whole life? Think about, it. there's these pivotal moments in Samson's life where he could have chosen to acknowledge and recognize where his strength comes from and that it comes from God. And the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 121. He said, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In this passage, the psalmist recognizes and acknowledges where his help comes from. But almost always, Samson chose to go his own way. Now we can contrast that with Jesus Jesus, the Bible tells us that though by very nature he was God, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he made himself nothing, that he emptied himself, that he made himself in the nature of a servant, becoming obedient. You know, Jesus said he did nothing apart from what his father God told him, but by comparison, we don't see those signs of humility in Samson's life. What if though? What if in those pivotal moments he had decided to do things God's way. 
instead of his way? What if in those moments, instead of relying on his own strength, he had chosen to recognize and acknowledge where his strength really came from, from God? And what if we did the same thing? You know, what if we stopped relying on our own strength and recognizing that we are much stronger in our weakness, that our true strength comes from God? You know, maybe when you walked in, you got this sticker of Samson's flexed bicep. Now, I just told you this is maybe not appropriate to the story. But what if you took it with you and put it somewhere prominent this week and just to remind you that we're strongest in our weakness. We're strongest when we allow our strength to come from God. The the prophet Isaiah wrote it this way in Isaiah 40. He said, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Here's how I want to encourage you. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Every one of us has pivotal moments in our lives where we face the same decision Samson faced. We can choose to do things our way or we can choose to do things God's way. The Bible tells us that often those are not the same thing. So often we'll pursue our own way and it feels right and good to us, but it's not God's way. Right? The Bible tells us, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, again, he tells us that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. And so every decision that we make, big or small, we've got a choice to choose. Will we honor God in that decision? Or will we follow our flesh and choose to honor ourselves? So today in this room, people walked in facing all kinds of decisions. I've got a business decision I've got to make right now. I've got to decide on a move, a new house or an apartment, a new place to live. I've got a decision to make on this relationship that I'm in. Am I going to continue to pursue this relationship or is this relationship not honoring to God? Am I going to let it die on the vine? How am I going to choose to raise my kids? How am I going to choose to deal with my aging mom or dad? How am I going to carry on after the marriage ended? What How am I going to conduct myself? Or I'm going off to college. What boundaries am I going to put in place for myself? We all have choices like that. And we can choose to honor God in those moments. Or we can choose to rely on our own strength. And guys, so often, I would follow my flesh. I would choose to do what my body wants to do. But we have to say, no, I'm going to choose what the Lord wants. I'm gonna choose to do what the Lord would have me do. Every one of us has a choice in every major decision. Instead of your own strength today, would you consider maybe relying on the strength of the Lord? His strength is much greater than our strength and you can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am thankful that through your spirit, you give us access to your strength. I'm thankful that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to come to earth and live a sinless life to show us how to live. Lord, that he went to the cross voluntarily. He laid down his life so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, that he was raised to heaven where now he's interceding on our behalf. Even right now, as I'm praying, as those of us in this room are praying, we know that Jesus is standing at your right hand and he's agreeing with our prayers. And so Lord, this week, as we, each and every one of us walks out of this room, would you help us to follow your ways and not our ways? Would you help us to rely on your strength and not our own strength? And in all those moments where we have a choice to 
to bring you praise, bring you glory, to bring you honor for the decisions we're making. Uh, we, and we can say, yes, we'll do that, or no, we won't. Lord, I want to say yes to you. We say yes to you today, in Jesus' name, amen.